Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. And now, here's Armstrong and Getty. Live from Studio C, senor. Deep within the... Oh, there he is. Dang it, I need to learn to speak Spanish. You got freed up from that elevator quicker than I expected. Yeah, well, I need to learn to speak Spanish. I'll explain it in a second. Bueno. A dimly lit room, etc., etc., and we're under the tutelage of our general manager to kick it, off a brand new week. It was going to be the best laid plans of mice and Joe Biden. A bit of a literary reference. Or St. Bernard-sized rodents. Oh, but, boy. But instead, respectfully, our general manager this morning, Colin Powell. Oh, yeah, we got to discuss that. I just heard that, that Colin Powell passed away. But you don't know who that is? We'll explain in a few moments. How you doing? Are you excited about a new week? This is the week you get your promotion? This is the week you meet Mrs. Wright or Mr. Wright? Oh. This is the week it all goes to hell. Maybe you participate in the Great Resignation. Americans quit their jobs in numbers never seen before. Yeah. I don't know. That's a bold move, man. Uh, quitting your job before you get the next one is a old one. Maybe, maybe, maybe a lot of people are quitting them as they have one lined up. I don't know. I don't know if they they have a way of measuring that, but that's a bold move to quit your job and just hope you're going to find a better one out there. Yeah, I would say. I mean, it's not like American savings rates have been through the right. roof over the last fifty right. years. So, uh, but it's it's astonishing the number of people leaving their jobs. So apparently they're doing a bunch of work on one of the floors here in the building. I don't know. They're loading and unloading all kinds of uh, equipment down there. And so I was, <laughs> we're we're uh, on. I was on the elevator with a bunch of people, and they got like these big uh, pallet thing on wheels with stacked with all kinds of stuff and a bunch of workers and stuff like that. And we're we're sitting on the elevator, and we're kind of like, I don't know. They're like arguing amongst themselves in uh, Spanish over what floor they want to go to or whatever, hmm. and. Uh, I was trying to communicate that I just I just want to go up and get off. I got a work thing. I've got to, uh, and I didn't know how to. I only know like two words: uh, uh, cerveza, mm. uh, baños. That's about it. And I I just mm. kept saying cerveza, cerveza, baños, <laughs> and I wasn't communicating to them that they well, could, too many cervezas, and you got to head to the baño. Everybody knows. Maybe that. they could figure out that whole what floor they want to be on later. Um, <laughs> anyway. Um, uh, colon. I must to El Worco go ba- soon. Banos cerveza. <laughs> My only two words. Um, uh, Colin Powell has died. He was uh, Secretary of State and Secretary of Defense. Or was, was the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs? Chairman at of the Joint Chiefs point. and Secretary of State under George Bush. He was the highest-ranking a, a black person in American government ever until Barack Obama was elected president, although nobody ever mentioned that because it uh, happened under a Republican president, so it doesn't count. Didn't help the narrative. And uh, he's most famous for, if you're old enough and followed the politics of it, he's most famous for going before the United Nations and giving a very impassioned, strong speech about why we needed to go to war in Iraq back in 2003 because of those mobile labs making poisonous gas and all the different things that turned out to not be true as far as weapons of mass destruction. And he laid all his credibility out there. He's the most credible person in the Bush administration, and he went ahead and and used that capital in front of the U.N. to make the argument because he believed it. Well, he barely, barely believed it. He was highly troubled by the decision to go into Iraq. 
But he went along with the team, got dragged along more or less. The decision to go into Iraq is a little different than the believing you've got the uh, weapons of mass destruction. Fair enough. And he says he believed that. Um, he wasn't certain that uh, regime change was the right answer. But he but he believed the stuff that he was told by his own CIA about the mobile labs and the various things. And that all turned out to not be true. Man, the if you, trucks entering the building. We we aired it live on our show, and I'll, I'll never forget it. I mean, because it was something. You know, well, a lot sh- of folks, myself included, said, if Colin Powell believes this this firmly, sure. I believe it. Oh, sure. It, it definitely. Because he's an honorable man. Absolutely. Certainly de- definitely helped push me over the edge. I, would, I didn't have any concerns that he was in it for the oil or... What was that company they were always tying to Dick Cheney and claiming that was the reason we were going oh, to Oh, yeah. Black... Halliburton. Are... Halliburton. Halliburton. Dick Cheney, Halliburton. War for oil. Et cetera. Yeah. And uh, people always talked about Colin Powell, ru- Powell running for president. Because he had so much uh, credibility and uh, was liked by R's and D's. But his wife didn't want him to because she was so worried he'd be assassinated as a black man if he ran for president. Wow. So he never did. Wow. Huh. Uh, and he's dead now at the age of 84 of COVID. COVID got him. And fully vaccinated. His family says he was fully vaccinated. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 84-year-olds, you just, it's tough to protect them fully from this beast. Yeah. You know, it's a shame. 84 is a good run. Good man. Yeah, it makes me, because I've been feeling pretty good that my parents who are in that age group uh, are, are, are in good shape because they're uh, vaccinated, but I guess you got to uh, stay away from it regardless if you're in that age group. Yeah. yeah I was just going to pose the question, what percentage of 84-year-olds who are fully vaccinated, having been exposed to the COVID, would have a serious uh, outcome? And I don't have the slightest idea, and I'm reminded of a, a long piece. I, I, I was attempting to boil it down and bring it to you last week, but it was a discussion, I think, in the Washington Post about how incredibly fractured and incomplete and late and inconsistent all of our COVID stats are in this country, partly because we don't have a government uh, health care system that would you know, slowly, painfully, and inaccurately bring the, wow. the numbers Joe together. Wow, arguing for uh, uh, universal health care. not exactly where I was going with this. So you this. wanted Hillary to win. That's really <laughs> okay. interesting. All right, then. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, a, a question as specific as mine about 84-year-olds who are fully vaccinated. Please, it'll be 30 years before we have some scientist somewhere cook up a number he thinks is reasonably credible. It still is true, though, that if you look at the, the age breakdown of deaths of COVID, it's overwhelmingly old people. Overwhelmingly. Old, old. Yeah. yeah. It's, 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 a, it's a disease of the old. Uh, it gets treated like it's the same whether you're 80 or 5 years old or 15 or 35 for some reason, but it is definitely a disease of the old. But that uh, sucks if you're already vaccinated. There, it may be as simple as that, that for some reason. Why do people treat it uh, the same if you're 5 or 85? What, what is it with the folks? They wear their masks alone outside in the park, whatever, all that. I just think there is an impulse among a certain portion of the population. It's a significant one. They want to be ruled. They want to be controlled. They want to be kept safe and told what to do. I just think it's it's part of humanity. A significant number of folks, might even be a majority, want to be ruled. And they see in COVID a wonderful uh, excuse. Well, it's not an excuse because I think a lot of it's subconscious. 
or at least unconscious. They think, okay, I feel unsafe. I will feel safe and and loved and cuddled and protected and and herded into a nice safe pen. And this COVID's a perfect excuse to do it. Nice safe pen. Do I have like a do I have a trough full of food I like? And of course, blankets, fresh water. Yes, sounds pretty appealing. You can cuddle up with your your fellow sheep or. St. Bernard-sized rodents, those details coming up. Stay with us. I want to hear that. Let's start the show officially on a Monday. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty on this. It is how to get to be Monday, October 18th, the year 2021. We're Armstrong and Getty, and we approve of this program. Swinging into action, then officially according to FCC rules and regs, here comes the show at Mark. Because what I do when I try very hard is to be guided by the truth. And sometimes the truth becomes inconvenient for some people, so they react against me. There it is. It's hard to be you. That was a short version of a longish answer he gave to Chris Wallace yesterday on Fox News Sunday. Wallace asking him, why are you so controversial? And essentially he said, well, I, as the world's purest saint, I preach nothing but truth and love. And those who are against truth and love don't like me. It was spectacular. He did, he did everything but haul himself up on the cross in that answer. It was unbelievable. As I texted yesterday, kudos to you for watching the Anthony Fauci uh, interviews, because I skipped them all on all the shows. I just can't hear another word from that guy. Well, I hear you. I hear you, but I, I was in a mood, I guess. I thought, yeah, let's... <laughs> I was let's, in I, a I, mood to listen to Dr. Fauci. Well, I was feeling feisty, I guess you'd say, and I wow. thought, all right, let's see what this numbskull says this time. Were you in Hail yeah, Fauci. hail Fauci. Exactly. Look exactly. at you, taking Fauci's advice, advocating for Hillary Care. <laughs> and, and he, did, he did not disappoint me. <laughs> you nut job. <laughs> um, how does mailbag look? It's uh, it's coming together quickly. I had to uh, re-hook up the printer, but I think it should be fine. Awesome. It's all working, and we'll catch up to speed on all the news from the weekend. Man, that whole... Supply chain container ship thing is a major problem. We haven't even begun to feel that. Yikes. We think we have. We ha- we're just the very beginning of this problem. Anyway. Double yikes. All that stuff is on the way. Text line 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. So, Conor McGregor, the crazy UFC fighter, punched another guy? Allegedly. Another elderly man? No, younger guy. Sucker punched him out of nowhere, it sounds like. Anyway, I'll have full team coverage on that later. Sucker punches? What's happened to the world? This This guy's a professional fighter. This guy claims they were hanging out, partying, like, talking and being friends for, like, two hours, hanging. And uh, just out of nowhere, Conor McGregor just punches him in the nose. Wow, psychotic. Yeah, like he's a, you said, he's a crazy person. He's just a crazy person. Yeah. They never know, you know, the easiest way to make money would be to provoke Conor McGregor into punching in the face. Because the guy's worth like $700 million because yeah. of his whiskey. True enough. He's probably got a team of lawyers that just goes around doing nothing but settling cases with people he punches. I just, a guy like him to sucker punch somebody if it happened. I mean, he could give me six weeks notice he was going to punch me and there wasn't much I could do about it. No, plus it could kill you. Right, right. Well, I don't have a glass jaw like you. I can stand in there and take shots. 
Mailbag. Oh, I'm sorry. Here's your freedom, love, and quote of the day. Going to go back to the founding documents uh, soon, but I've been reading this book. I really enjoyed it. I decided uh, I'm not reading enough books. Okay. And I thought, well, you know, one way to get my brain back involved in that is is find some fiction that I really enjoy mm. um, and, and dive into that. And I can't remember how I came across this, but somebody recommended the book to me. And um, I'm trying to come up with the title of it, maybe later. Moby Dick. Now that that's not it, I'm quite certain. Um, and and wouldn't you know? I can't remember the name. Oh, it's it's called Constance by Matthew Fitzsimmons. All right, and it's it's uh, Jack. It's your favorite genre, science fiction, <laughs> set in the future, and human cloning is a reality. And it's a crime and amnesia and cloning and conspiracies and very entertaining. Really enjoying it. But I came across this quote in the book, and uh, it may remind you of things you've heard on this show. In this country. Power doesn't derive from defeating a threat. True power comes from the fear of the threat. And maintaining power requires a continuing threat. No one worries about causes that are already decided. When was the last time someone wrote a check to defeat prohibition? Hmm. And I thought that was good. That was really good. That's a good, colorful description of why politicians intentionally don't solve these things. Because you'll stop writing checks. Yuck, I hate politicians. Abortion, border. Right, sure. All of, all, practically all of it. Crumbling roads and bridges. Hey, Cali Unicornians. I'm, I'm asking Californians because, you know, lived in California for so much of my life. How many times have you been told that you've got to pay higher taxes or there's going to be a little service fee or another 12 cents on gas or whatever to fix the roads? How many times have you heard that? <laughs> my, my every every election since I've been old enough to pay attention. Right, exactly, exactly. So moving along to the correspondence proper, this from uh, Jay. So let me get this straight: we're calling inmates incarcerated people because we don't want to reduce them to one aspect of their being, but we're calling women birthing people because that is their only char- defining characteristic. Is this going to be on the test? <laughs> <laughs> That's some good stuff, sir. Well pointed out. Uh, Leslie. Leslie, new to Idaho, writes, Here in Idaho, since leaving beautiful Cal Unicornia for, well, you know why, had to get a couple of COVID tests for travel last Friday. At the local urgent care, the person who did my COVID test told me that they recently hired two previous McDonald's employees to run their front counter, taught them how to administer blood pressure and other medical medical processes to start patient visits. I asked one of these employees, was the person who checked uh, my friend and I in earlier uh, one of those? Uh, they said, yeah, I don't know, maybe I'm old, but I always assumed that the desk associate or at least the person taking my blood pressure had some form of medical training, <laughs> say, in school or something. <laughs> nope, no longer to do the extreme shortage of willing applicants at friggin' urgent care. So they literally graduated from the French fry machine to the blood pressure cuff. I don't know if I ever assumed they had any medical training, but I assume they're like in the medical world orbit somehow. Sure. <laughs> they're like an EMT briefly or something. I don't know. Not straight from the McDonald's. Yeah. How about that? Yeah, it's uh, 180 over. Whoa, wait a minute. What? No, all right, 130. I don't know. <laughs> Do you want fries with your blood pressure? I'm sorry. It's just a habit. Ding. Oh, I got to go. Fries are ready. <laughs> <laughs> so That's I was going to I was going to bring this up a little bit later on. Joe Biden uh, photographed in a swanky DC restaurant, not going through the idiotic ritual of wearing his mask to the table uh, the, during table that ninety second walk, then sitting unmasked for forty five minutes, and then 
uh, masking up for the 90-second walk to the uh, exit, um, but uh, it's uh, being called out as hypocrisy and phoniness and virtue signaling and the rest, which is absolutely true. But JT writes, I don't think the Democratic elites are assessing the risk for themselves than making the decision to mask or not. Uh, I think it's much more basic than that. They're simply used to being able to get a, get away with any behavior, including hypocritical behavior. Governor Newsom closed public schools, kept private schools open, allowed his own kids to actually get an education. Nobody on the left called Newsom out on that behavior. And I'm 100% convinced that Newsom knew that that would be the case. Face it, political elites are their own kind of cabal, and liberal elites are the innermost circle of said cabal. Do as I say, not as I do, is their shibboleth. It will keep being their shibboleth until we the people stop them. Well, thank you for dropping an SH bomb on us, JT. So all week long, the administration's been announcing that this uh, supply chain shortage is going to last, but do not panic buy. Do not panic buy. It will only make things worse, which, of course, is absolutely going to cause everybody to buy up as much stuff as they can and make things worse. I mean, I'm buying stuff I don't even want. Just whatever I see. <laughs> buy, buy, buy. Uh, more on the details of that next. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. It's taking three times longer to clear vessels at the ports compared to before the pandemic. And the Long Beach port is already working 24-7. Matt Schrapp, CEO of the Harbor Trucking Association, says working 24-7 won't solve everything. The best estimates that I've heard, this could be something that will be well into next Christmas, to be honest with you. Next Christmas, not this Christmas. Things aren't going to get back to normal till next Christmas. Wait, what? Holy cow. It's another seafaring infrastructure Monday here on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Yar, tis. We've, uh, we've done some uh, research and found that the young people love talk about ports. Oh, yeah, so. yeah. Containers, cranes, the whole longshoremen. Are you kidding me? So one way to bring more young people to AM talk radio is port talk. (laughs) I did a bit of a deep dive on ports. Yes. Spurred on somewhat by that ABC story, which I thought, this is feeling different. What is it about this that's feeling different? Ah, this is actually useful information that affects everybody's lives, as opposed to 90% of the stuff you do on these talk shows, that doesn't affect anybody's life. (laughs) Wow, I totally misunderstood your idea over the weekend. I've assembled all sorts of interesting information on sweet, fortified dessert wines. Ports. I I totally dropped. I'm so sorry. Back when I drank, I never could stomach port. It's just not my thing. It's a sipper. You gotta sip it. I'm not a sipper. I'm a chugger, so maybe that was the wrong yeah, thing for me. No good, no good. So Martha Radich right there had a good camera shot, if you haven't seen it, if you're not from the area, of the ships that are backed up out into the ocean as far as the eye can see around the Long Beach port and the L.A. port. I noticed this when I was driving to uh, across the Bay Bridge to the Giants-Dodgers game. I'd never seen so many of those great big tanker ships out in the bay, and I was—I I didn't really put two and two together at the time. I'm all excited. I'm wearing a baseball cap, and I'm going to a game. But, yeah, the reason I see so many ships is they're just stuck there. They can't get in. They can't get unloaded for all kinds of different reasons. There aren't enough people to unload them. There's too many ships in the way to unload them. There aren't any trucks to put the stuff on. There aren't enough truck drivers to drive the trucks. I mean, it's just a, a compounding problem. But particularly for the ports of L.A. and Long Beach, those two ports account for 40% of U.S. shipping containers in the entire country. 
Wow. 40% come through those two ports. Now, it's a little, a little squishy when you're looking at the biggest ports in the world because the port of Long Beach and L.A., you can see them from each other. Sure seems like you could practically count those as one port to me, but for all kinds of different reasons, they don't. But I just... I just thought it was kind of interesting as I was going into a deep dive on ports last night, because that's the kind of fun guy I am. Um, seven of the ten biggest ports in the world are in China. Seven of the ten biggest ports are in China. Wow. And something like 18 of the top 20. I mean, so they just dominate in terms of shipping cheap, crappy good. All goods are all around the world and, and having stuff shipped in. Um, but they measure it all by TEUs. And a TEU is a measurement of those big containers that you've seen on there, they're 20 feet long. So each one of those is a TEU. The, the, totally excellent unit. Exactly. Um, and to just give you an idea, the largest transport ship in the world can hold 24,000 of those. Wow. Now, the other ships aren't quite as big, but that gives you an idea just of uh, how big a deal it can be to unload one of those ships. So if that one, the HMM Algericus, comes into port, 24,000 containers... It would take a line of semi-trucks 90 miles long just to unload that one ship. Holy crappings. That is a lot of semi-trucks, and we don't have the drivers or the trucks right now. Plus, the price of fuel is really, really high. Forgot to throw that in there in terms of cost and delay and everything else that's going on. Well, and remember, the infamous AB5 in California, Assembly Bill 5, crushed independent trucking in the state. That was legislation. But keep voting for the same party. So it is unfortunate that 40% of the uh, containers come through a state where it's made it impossible to uh, to do trucking. But you got about 10 million of those containers that went through the part of Los Angeles last year. About 8 million in Long Beach. Uh, the biggest port in the world, Shanghai, 42 million of those containers go through every single year. Just dwarfs anything we do in the United States. Which is really pretty, pretty interesting, I thought, just from a size of China's economy. Uh, standpoint. Well, um, importance as an exporter too. Yeah, I mean, and um, and you you heard this last week on the Armstrong and Getty show, but a year ago it would take it would cost about thirteen hundred dollars to transport one of those containers across the country. It now costs sixteen thousand dollars per. Oh, so it's going from thirteen hundred dollars oh. to transport a container to sixteen thousand. Not a joke. Yikes, I don't care if you're buying cars or phones or, 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 or dopey toys that your kid will play with for a day, then forget at Christmas time. That's going to add a heck of a lot per unit. Oh, my God, yes. I mean, it's just it's unimaginable. So you add all those things together. Uh, the supply and demand, the cost of transport, and the, tra- the fuel costs, the, 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 the delay, the, the everything. Um, who knows what prices of some of these goods are going to be, what you could charge for them and still sell them in your you know Target in Milwaukee. When you finally get stuff on your shelf and the scarcity, who knows what the prices are going to be? Well, at least we have dynamic young leadership to deal with it in the White House, Jack. Get first, get the smell that bad at Kev Kerr. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, so, anyways, you heard that one guy say it could be next Christmas before this starts to get in line. Let's hear a little bit from this guy who is the Long Beach executive director of the port there and what he thinks it's go- uh, a little bit about the um, the size of the problem right now. I have never seen anything like this. This is actually one of the smaller ships. The largest ships in service today can carry up to 24,000 container units. And what would that mean in terms of goods? That could fill three shopping malls. 
And uh, a little more from him. Was this something that just wasn't planned for? Well, the pandemic had the effect of impacting every segment of the supply chain. When manufacturing was shut down in Asia, we had very little business here. Starting in July, we noticed this surge, this tsunami of cargo. So we went from doom and gloom to fast and furious on a term of a dime. And that caught the supply chain off guard. And for whatever reason, and Pete Buttigieg, the um, transportation secretary, was asked about this yesterday. For whatever reason, even though you could see it coming somewhat, they didn't get ahead of it. Uh, They didn't get ahead of it. So he's back from his, what, like six weeks off for to tend to his new kids? Yeah. Um, and as you heard that Ooh, guy... Edge, edge. As the transportation secretary, we can't get him like a nice nanny and he can, you know, work some half days or something? In the midst of the biggest supply chain interruption in anybody's lifetime, yeah, he was he was uh, taking care of his new baby. But anyway... Yeah, I want to talk more about that later. Uh, a couple of gay fellers having a baby, is that what's bothering you? <laughs> Wow, you are you just are you getting paid per word you put in my mouth today or what? What is it with you? I don't know. If I feel like saying something, I'll say it. I'm not your puppet. I How dare you? I don't know. <laughs> Trying to create controversy where there is none. I don't know yeah, why I'm doing that. Great, super. Um so as you heard there, each one of those ships can have several malls full of stuff in it. And instead of them being unloaded and that stuff making its way across the country to be in the stores in time for, you know, uh, the, the day after Thanksgiving, which is just a couple of weeks ago, they're just sitting out there in the water, just sitting there. There's no there's no place to dock them. There's no trucks to put them in. There's no drivers to drive the trucks, even if you did. And even if you got all that taken care of, it costs more than 10 times, like 12, 15 times what it normally costs to get them across with the price of gas and supply demand and everything else. So who knows? what things are going to cost in the mall if you can get them at all come Christmas time. Kids, right. this is going to affect Santa this year. Oh, yeah. Santa's going to be uh, surly. Surly Santa. Well, in a bad move, bad frame of mind. Rudolph bit a guy yesterday. It's it's unverified report, but <laughs> the reindeer are stressed. I don't yeah. know. I, I, I So, based on taking in all that information... And just looking at the different ports around the country and how many ships are sitting off, uh, just sitting out there in the water, just, I mean, it's, it's crazy. We're, we are just at the very beginning of this story. Well, now that you set it up and, and brought all those factors to us, it's clear that that estimate that maybe by next Christmas we'll have this straightened out, I mean, that strikes me as fairly realistic. It's going to take so long to unknot this. Meanwhile, the usual commerce that goes on will continue to go on. It's not like the world will come to a stop so the Port of Los Angeles can can get its, uh, you know, poo together. Yeah, everybody keeps talking about toys because that is, um, you know, got such an emotional component to it if, if stuff's not available in the stores. But we're all using the same amount of toilet paper and toothpaste and, and you know, shoes. And just anything you can think of comes through in those ships. I mean, everything, look around whatever room you're in right now, all that stuff. 90% of goods come uh, on a ship uh, in the world. So just everything you can think of is going to be way, way backed up. I'm as at the store yesterday, like I, I'm as an American, I'm not used to supply chain interruptions. Mm-hmm. And it's starting to make me really amazed that my whole life, if I go to the grocery store, whatever particular item it is that I like, there's always a couple of them there. No Soviet style empty shelves here. They just... You know, they've got such a they've got it so nailed down and anticipating how much is going to get used at various times of the year, various stores and locations like my heavy cream that I drink for my coffee. It's never in the store anymore. 
Never. It's just, it's just, huh. if, it, if it arrives, I get lucky, I, I buy all three that are there. Well, that's that's crazy. I mean, because that's from domestic cows, yeah, right? That's a domestic thing, not a China yeah. shipping thing. But just it's just never there. The particular lunar Luna bars my son likes always out every single time. Every hmm. once in a while, there'll be some, and I buy them all. And I think everybody else does the same thing, so that when you go in, there, there are none there. Wow, Luna bar roulette. But the sort of thing you just never think of in the past. Because well, are, this is Joe Biden's America. Truck of healthcare. But as they were talking about it, it compounds on itself because back in the old days, I would have bought one container of my cream and a couple of Luna bars. But now you buy all of them because you know they're going to be out and everybody's doing that. And it just compounds itself in terms of the supply chain problem. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Whoops. Well, coming up, I'd like to make the case that you should buy your kids no toys for Christmas anyway. Disenroll them from virtually all of their organized activities. Wow. Old school. Give them a stick. Send them outside. In fact, you know what? You give them a stick, you're coddling them. Make them go outside and find their own stick. How far is this going to go? Should they be working in the mines and smoking cigarettes? Or? <laughs> that's, that's a decision for each parent to make, Jack. It's time to strip away the artifice of modern life and let our kids be kids. Fantastic. That's next. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So apparently Microsoft told Bill Gates to stop emailing some female staffer years ago, so they're going into his old emails, and you know how that turns out when they start looking at people's old emails. Please don't. (laughs) Plus, St. Bernard-sized rodents menace exclusive gated community. What? Stay with us. Do you know, no joke. Do you know who Conor McGregor is? I don't watch the UFC fighting, but I still know who Conor McGregor is, and he's the most famous UFC fighter ever, and he boxed once for real. He had a whiskey, made $600 million when he sold his whiskey, I think. Some just insane amount of money. It's so dumb. There's plenty of whiskey, and a lot of it's pretty good. But his, uh, you give it consumers. What are you going to do? His whole act when he came became famous was to act like he was unhinged, like he was a crazy person, and it was kind of cool and funny. But it turns out it, apparently he is unhinged and a crazy person. And he punches people every now and then, and he's and he's and he's lost quite a bit of money over punching people every every now and then. Over the weekend, yesterday in Rome, so in the morning he had his son baptized at the Vatican. Pretty cool if you're Catholic to have your son baptized at the Vatican. But um, later he's at a party and he's hanging out with this Italian DJ, and they hung out for hours, according to the DJ. Of course, uh, DJs deserve to be punched. Before I get any further. Most DJs should get a good punch. <laughs> but anyway, so this DJ says they're partying and just hanging out and having fun and their wives together and everything like that. And Conor McGregor just punches him in the nose out everywhere. Out of nowhere, breaks his nose. He goes over backwards. He's on oh. the floor. He's bleeding everywhere. Then all of Conor McGregor's um, helpers got a hold of Conor McGregor and got him out the door right away. He's one of those guys, and I have I've known people like this. That there's just something that's a switch that goes off in their head that they want to punch someone hmm. when they're drunk. Yeah. And he appears to be one of those people, which means he probably shouldn't be out and about. Well, uh, a lot of the greatest fighters, whether it's boxers or the MMA guys, are motivated by anger deep within them. Mm. And and that's why they want to get really good at it. Not all of them. No, but they have that boiling anger. I got to mention, just to be fair, that, of course, he is a target for this sort of thing. And... uh that's just the DJ's side of the story, so who knows? An Italian DJ. Have you seen the Tower of Pisa? 
It's beautiful. It leans. What's you with the Pope? <laughs> I see the Pope walking around. He's wearing slippers. It's raining. Who wears slippers when it's raining? 30% chance of salvation. <laughs> All right, beautiful. <laughs> a couple of notes on the youngsters, if we have time for this. I'm not sure. I was reading a piece in the Dispatch about the, uh, the worker shortage and how many fields uh, of endeavor are short of workers and, and not just not enough workers, but not enough good workers and some of the skills gaps and that sort of thing is it's pretty interesting it's tough to get a handle on but boy this really struck me the writer says last but in my view probably the most important factor in our labor mismatch is the other less talked about skills gap namely the shortage of non-cognitive or soft skills employers frequently complain about the shortage workers with the critical thinking teamwork and communication skills needed for an economy that is increasingly driven by tasks that require extensive collaboration among workers if you think i do go ahead i know so little about this stuff because i don't have a normal job i don't know what i don't know what normal people are doing out there in the normal world why is there more of this sort of stuff going on in the past is it all computer stuff? Or? You know, I don't know that there is. He states that there is. Uh, but let me let me finish the paragraph, and then I'll jump into what I think about this. Mm-hmm. If you think it's hard to train IT professionals, try training workers who have never learned the interpersonal skills of working and getting along with others. Non-cognitive skills accumulate slowly over time, beginning in inf- infancy and develop through family, schools, and other community institutions. Those soccer leagues for five-year-olds your kids belong to, that's workforce preparation writ small and adorable. And adorable. I'm, I'm not sure I agree. You don't think it's adorable? No. Little kids in their cleats and their... The level of soccer is terrible. <laughs> Why are they wearing cleats? The, they're five years old. Their execution is is abysmal. No, I, what I was going to say is, and, and it's handy to have been born into and grown up in a world where there are very few organized activities, and most play is free play. And then observing a world where it's evolved to many, many kids, most play is organized play. To the extent. Most, maybe all. To the extent, I was going to say, almost excluding free play completely. And what the point is, and, and we've talked about this before, but I think it may be the most important truth societally going on right now. If you send kids out and say, go play. They will invent a game. They will invent a set of rules. They will argue over those rules. They will informally and un- subconsciously form a committee. They will choose a chairperson. Someone will emerge. There will be enforcement of those rules. There will be violations of those rules, and there will be negotiations how to deal with it. It is a master class. It would take 50 years to teach it in a classroom setting That's that really your kids get from free play. I certainly never thought of all those things when I was doing it as a kid. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. But your brain is absorbing lessons about cooperation hmm. and humans and the differences between humans. One guy loses his temper. One guy just rolls his eyes and wanders away. And you're learning all the time, as opposed to a bunch of adults telling you where to go and what to do. We would play two-on-two softball. The real negotiation was how far apart the bases had to be to make it work for two-on-two. Because they got to be really far apart. Oh, sure. To have time for the guy to get to the ball and have any chance of ever getting anybody out. (laughs) 
Well, right, right. And we played various three-base games or two-base or whatever it is, varying, you know, all right, that tree is a double or whatever. Um, I just, I think that's so important. And I see it in uh, little girls. My uh, nieces engage in a lot of free play, uh, and they play together a lot. They're close in age. Terrible. And you got to have rules. You have to have structure. You need to have uniforms, adults. of yeah, course. Of course, uniforms. <laughs> yes, yeah, very important. Uh, and I just, I, you know, if I could beg of you to do one thing, folks, it's, you know, let your kids play freely and invent freely. Less structure, more free play. And I think that's what they're talking about here. Yeah. I mean, the kids, uh, people talk about staring at their phones. They don't know how to talk. They don't know how to make a phone call or, or, or speak up for themselves in a meeting. I think it goes deeper than that. That is really interesting. That could actually be uh, 100% true. And the sort of thing that, you know, we just missed as a society. Whoops, that we got that one wrong. Well, I'd write a book on it, but I have a tea time this afternoon. Yeah, okay. I'm a man who craves leisure. Got other things to do. Right. Colin Powell has died. We'll talk a little more about that later. Yeah, he got the COVID at age 84. Hey, if you miss an hour of the show, catch the podcast at armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty.